You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 343 of the Battery of Power podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, coming to you on Sunday, April the 3rd in the evening. I'm coming to you from New Orleans, Louisiana, site of the Final Four. It's madness in the city. But uh, in one of our staple podcasts of the year, one of the times that we, uh, the three main co-hosts come together each year, it's time for some actual predictions on the record. And I'm joined by both Eric Cole and Scott Coleman. Hello, fellas. Hey Bradley, I am here to make sure that I befuddle you and make you laugh in your sleep-deprived state. Uh, beyond that, I probably won't bring much of value to the podcast, but it's always good to hear from you. <laughs> yeah, Brad needs some sleep. Uh, good to be on with everybody here. Uh, less than a week to opening day, finally. It, it's felt like forever since we've had baseball in our lives, so um, always fun to do these podcasts, some predictions, and then of course to look back in six months and see see how we did and, and some other news and notes to get to, so it should be a good one. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll save the predictions for the second half of the podcast. We will get on the record with our MVP choices from the, from the Braves, with our uh, positive surprises, some maybe some negative surprises, uh, and at least finish predictions, win totals, all that stuff is coming at the end of the show. But there is a little bit of news to hit on. Uh, unfortunately, earlier this week, uh, our friend Sean Coleman on the same podcast, we talked about this, but Luke Jackson uh, has, an, at least at a bare minimum, a UCL issue of some kind in his throwing arm. Um, he was actually placed on the 60-day IL on Sunday. So at minimum, he'll be out a while. Obviously, the fear is Tommy John surgery. That's not been confirmed just yet. But he's going to be out for a while. Um, that is obviously a hit. It is less of a hit because they went out and spent a bunch of money on Kelly Jansen. That's just trickle the trick of the bullpen. And if there is a team in the big leagues that is set up to lose a quality reliever like Luke Jackson, it might be the Braves. Um, but at the same time, it's a loss. Um, you know, Kirby Yates is still a long way off. They might be relying now on guys like Darren O'Day, who I believe is uh, 40-ish years old. Tower Thornburg's in the mix. They have, uh, of course, the top five guys who are still fantastic, but this is a real loss. So, uh, you know, we're all kind of flying blind on what the actual diagnosis is at this point in time. But uh, what was your reaction? I guess we'll start with Eric. What was your reaction to the, to the Luke Jackson news? I know we've always been a little bit higher on him than most, I would say. And I think he's been sort of proving us to be at least kind of pressure with that, with the way he's pitched the last couple of years. But this is a big loss for everybody. Well, the first thing I, once it happens, you know, I kind of went back to just a few years ago where like the loss of Luke Jackson would have just been absolutely catastrophic because he was like one of the only guys who could do anything of note in out of the bullpen. And then I started thinking about that Luke might be the sixth best bullpen arm uh, in the Braves bullpen right now. It's, and it might be theoretically could be lower now that we know that Spencer Strider is going to be added to the team. And it, 
it's kind of wild that the Braves have put themselves in a position to lose a, a guy who, frankly, I think gets a lot of a bad rap. And, you know, obviously there were some moments in the postseason that weren't the best for Luke, but he's overall been a really solid performer out of the bullpen. He was kind of set up to be in a spot this season where he wasn't going to have probably a lot of particularly high leverage situations. If he's up against like a, a bunch of righties in a lineup, he would be set up really well. He wouldn't have to be that that that, that's, that main setup guy or even the closer. You know, I don't I couldn't imagine really any situation where that would be the case with this particular bullpen, but it stinks, right? And there's still a chance that he'll avoid Tommy John surgery. It just everything seems to reference a torn UCL, but I, we don't know exactly like the extent of that tear. We don't know if it's something that he can rehab through, but the overwhelming amount of times when you see the word tear with a UCL, uh, even if they try to rehab it it usually doesn't work and they end up having to have Tommy John surgery. Uh, so I, I will hold out hope somewhat that there'll be, it'll only be a very, very slight tear and he'll be fine. But the likelihood is that not only will the Braves be without Luke Jackson this year, but it could be the last time we actually might not see him in a Braves uniform again, because he's, a, he's a free agent after this year. He has a, a very decent, I'll say, track record as a reliever. You don't really know whatever. Whenever a guy make, makes it to free agency with an injury, you never really know if the team a team wants to bring him back versus another team that wants to take a chance on a guy who maybe needs a guy like that to bolster their bullpen, whereas the Braves may not. So it's kind of wild to me that 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 playoff run that we saw from the Braves in the night shift may be the last time that we saw Luke in a Braves uniform. Yeah, yeah, the timing is really unfortunate here. As we noted, thankfully, the Braves have depth. And we talked about just over the last couple of weeks with bullpen depth, even when you feel really, really good about where things stand, inevitably there's going to be an injury or somebody will be off a little bit mechanically. And it's unfortunate to lose Luke. And as you as you noted him just a couple of months away from free agency, uh, ultimately we'll see what happens with his recovery time. But it's, it's poor timing on his end. Uh, it is an area on the roster where the Braves can withstand to – uh, take a little bit of a hit with depth. Uh, thankfully, the, I think outside of the Kenley Jansen signing, uh, the Colin McHugh deal is even more significant now being a right-handed middle reliever because um, it was Luke and, and Colin and then Kenley in the ninth. And those are really your only proven options at this point. We'll see if, if a Darren O'Day or a Tyler Thornburg from the right side can give much though. They have such extensive injury histories. I'm just not sure how long that, uh, is going to be able to, to work out for the team, but um, a bummer for Luke, and the timing is really unfortunate. Yeah, it's, it's a spot on the roster as well. Obviously, you know, you have, um, you know, days, uh, we already selected his contract, so that's not a huge surprise. He'll be around Thornburg. You know, you get into your uh, who, who's going to make the bullpen uh, discussion over the next few days. Your uh, Sean Newcomb is still lingering, folks. He is still lingering. Please, um, no. Just don't, just don't do it. He's on, he's on every one of the projections. Uh, DOBs. Bowman's he's, he's, he's just there. I'm just saying, but uh, yeah, it's obviously lost. We've sort of summarized that in uh, in good fashion. If you want more on that, we can listen to uh, Sean. Well, Go ahead. Well, I was about to say, I did want to ask both of you, this is kind of a weird scenario now. And it's something that we all kind of wondered about with the, the weirdness of the lockout, you know, compressing things. Luke has an arbitration hearing in season. And yeah, while, while, while I don't, they, they certainly shouldn't be able to hold a, injury that happened quote unquote in season or in spring training against him in arbitration. It's going to be kind of too hard to ignore a guy with a, you know, his arm in a sling who won't be pitching at all this year in front of an arbitrator. And I'm kind of curious as you guys, what you guys think about that, because 
I mean, I, I think it makes it less likely that wins, Luke wins his arbitration case at the very least. Yeah, I mean, the good thing is that uh, it won't be able. It's not like it's going to go lower than lower than what the team asked for. So, like, he's still going to be guaranteed right. some money, which is good. But that is interesting. I had not thought about that, Eric. Um, it would be extremely disingenuous for the Braves to argue that, but um, teams don't care and they are malicious. So I, <laughs> I expect them to maybe uh, at least hit at it at some point. I'm not sure if it's going to be a part of the deciding factor, but it does go to how strange it is that guys' salaries are not going to be uh, set when the season starts. It's just very, very, very odd. Yeah, and I, I think with arbitration, it's more backwards looking than forwards looking based yeah. on performance. Well, it, it should right. be. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I would hope that for Luke's sake, and we'll see where, where the judge ends ultimately decides but um yeah i hadn't thought about that either i guess it's um it's unfortunate maybe luke will get a few extra dollars out of it not that it would make him feel a whole lot better but um he certainly is deserving for for some of the big time innings he's thrown for this team over the last few years yeah we'll circle back obviously when we get final or uh, updated news on how long he might be out uh elsewhere on the news front before we start looking at the nl east and then get some, some predictions on the record um snicker said today on sunday that william Contreras and spencer strider are going to make the team barring something yes. uh, different um strider will save for a second but Contreras is interesting obviously he's a primary catcher and they don't really need one but the roster is expanded and uh Contreras, if you're not following his career closely is much more regarded for his bat than his glove uh, and there's a potential that he might be a DH option. He might be uh, even a corner outfield option, apparently, at some point. And uh, there are rumblings that they might even try him at corner infield. Uh, I'm not sure if he can play third base. Uh, that'll be interesting to see. Uh, first base is, of course, the position that people sort of default to if they can't do anything else. Um, but maybe he could take it at third. I don't know. I don't really know. Obviously, they, they have said in the last day or so that he's still a primary catcher and they think he is a catcher and he'll, he'll work there and he'll do some work there. And uh, I know DOB was talking about like, maybe he'll go back like basically on May 1st to be a catcher in Gwinnett. Um, but of course, having the depth around Snicker famously is never going to hit his uh, backup catcher. But of course with the DH uh, you won't have a lot of pinching opportunities on this team necessarily. So I don't really know what to make of this. Uh, they sort of signal it, I guess a little bit because they told Brock Holt, he wasn't going to make the team. And then uh, kind of when they released or optioned or, you know, whatever they did to uh, Phil Gosselin and company, it was like, wait, they've now parted ways with all of their utility options. Then it was like, oh, by the way, it's Contreras instead as a utility guy, not your uh, traditional utility guy necessarily, but uh, Scott, do you have a problem with this? I mean, they, they do have Arcia to fill the gaps. So they need to do that, which I guess gives them some flexibility here. Yeah. I don't think I had William Contreras utility man on my, on my yeah. bingo card for same, spring same. training. Yeah. Um, no, I, as you noted, he, he hits well. Um, he's shown some real power at the big league level. Granted, he doesn't have a ton of experience at the, at the highest level, but he had some flashes and he's another year older and, and Mark Bowman hinted or noted in his piece today when talking about the roster breakdown that it seems likely that Contreras is only up for the month of April until the rosters trim back down to 26. And then he will long-term he of course is, is catcher is his primary outlook. But if you can give him some big league at bats, um, especially as a potential right-handed option against a lefty starter uh, with Noah Cunha, I, I think uh, that's an opportunity to get William in the game against lefties who he hits well um, opportunity for him to be in a, a good spot to, to hopefully produce. And I think clearly the organization is still pretty high on William, especially uh, just on the fact they traded away Shea Langoliers just a couple of weeks ago. I think they think highly of William internally. And if, if he has some versatility, if he can go in a corner, if 
I guess everybody can pretty much stand at first base um, and maybe play. I know they said it would be like an emergency scenario of like an Austin Riley injury at third. Um, but I was pleasantly surprised. I think if for the next month I would take Contreras over someone like Phil Gosselin or, or Brock Holt. Um, but yeah, I just, I don't think anyone really expected him to be a utility option for this team the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I think it's also a reflection of one that the Braves really do believe in his bat just in general because, I mean, they brought a bunch of utility. I mean, like Pat Velika was in camp and Phil Gosselin and like everyone kind of thought that that last bench slot was just going to go to one of those guys. But I think the Braves sort of realized that all that really matters to that bench spot is like you need real upside with your bat. You don't need the guy to necessarily um, – be able to p- play a position for a prolonged period of time because they could just make a roster move that they really needed to. Yep. Uh, these, all these guys are just heading down the AAA. So what they want on the bench is that in the worst case scenario, if a guy gets hurt in the game, bring in a guy who can kind of sort of play the position, you know, and again, in Contreras' case, he'll, that'll be like corner outfield, possibly third base. Uh, he is athletic enough, I will say, to man the position now that is not the same as knowing how to play the position there's been plenty of guys who are full of athleticism who have looked pretty bad over there but if you're talking about for like a couple of bats during a game where you need real offensive production you're I mean scott's right like is anyone gonna be super happy that if that pat Velika or phil goslin gets meaningful at bats in the major league baseball <laughs> game no, no they're not and, and and the bench does not matter as much anymore like you can't like there's no double switches to really be made uh well i guess there could be but they're far less exciting in, in most circumstances they they already have guys like you know guillermo redia and orlando arcia that are not particularly pluses on the offensive side of the ball and i feel like that the, what they wanted is just a guy who uh, whose bat they trusted that can play a few positions where if something happens at those few positions and they really, they need to put a guy in there that can actually get a big hit as opposed to just, you know, fill space on the field, then Contreras is going to be a better option than basically everyone that they had. They seem to still like the bat. Uh, I think they still like him at catcher, obviously. Uh, then the moves they've made, you know, especially, you know, parting ways with Shane Langulers, or they, they at least have to have some sort of confidence that they have a catcher coming. Uh, so I, I, I think what ends up happening is kind of what's been hinted at is that, you know, for this first month, they're just trying to make it work with the bench and being able to piece things together, particularly as a right-hand option against lefties for, for Contreras. And maybe if he hits well, maybe he gets a few more at-bats than that. Maybe he gets a little bit more play in the outfield, giving some guys some time off. And from there, put him at triple A, give him those reps at catcher while, you know, Travis Darno and Manny Pena kind of man things for a while in 2022. So I think it's, again, it's kind of like a stopgap thing. I don't think it's like, you know, William Contreras is a professional utility infielder for the, the Braves now, but at the same time, it's a really interesting solution to what was a, you know, kind of a strange problem considering the composition of their bench. Yeah. I will cop to the fact that I never thought about this, but it makes complete sense to me. Now that you think about it, like you, you don't really need, the utility guy anymore in the way that really. Goslin would have been because you do have RCL already who they've already committed to. And we've already litigated that. I didn't love that decision. He's not my favorite player, but at the same time, he's on the roster and making money. So he could be your infield and corner outfield guy. If you have to have one, you're more likely to have a spot where you just have Contreras pinch hit for Heredia in the ninth inning of the game. Cause you have to have a, because you have to have a, a big base hit than anything else. So I like that from the upside perspective. The one thing that we should at least say, I think we talked around it is that you do want to have Contreras actually catch games. Like that's the problem. Like you, he's still young enough where him catching is something he needs to be doing regularly to develop. 
and also getting a bats. And that's kind of the thinking I think behind like having them up until May when the roster constricts, because, you know, if it was, if, if development was not really a question, it might make sense to have them on the roster all easier all season because you give them, there's a lot of flexibility there, but I personally do believe that like guys in his age and developmental range need to just play and he won't be playing very much. I would imagine. So, yeah. Yeah. We'll see. Anytime. I mean, like you said, he's in the mix and I know we've talked about for the next month, but let's, well, let's be honest here. Travis Darno has a lengthy injury history. I hope Travis yep. makes it through the entire year 100% healthy and he has a remarkable season. But and they're in if, their 30s too. Both the catchers are in their 30s. So that they are. And and also, uh, I don't have to tell folks who live in the South, I can only imagine the physical toll that catching a nine-inning baseball game during the middle of the day takes on your body for three or four months in the summertime. Like I think the uh, the odds on likelihood of William also making a couple of starts this year at catcher is fairly high. Oh yeah, um, and that's and that's a good scenario to have because as we know, sometimes the third catcher in your organization is nowhere near as good or has the upside of a William Contreras. Yeah, yeah. The 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 Kevin Smith and Jeff Mathis era from last season oh, is a pretty. I, uh, man, I feel so bad for Kevin Smith. He's just going to be like a legend in in the wrong way, you know what I mean? Like he got he got so much hate. It's like well, it's not his fault. He's bad. Like it's just what it is. Um, I mean, I mean, he didn't help. Right? I understand. It wasn't his fault. He was playing, is what I'm saying. It was. Uh, it is what it is. But no, that's that's it's a great point. And I think that the odds, like Scott just said, like the odds of all 162 being manned by Darno and Pena with neither one of those guys getting injured at any point are it's pretty small. I would think. I, I'd be pretty surprised if Contreras wasn't um, playing catcher, at least the backup catcher for some games this season. Okay. Uh, Last thing is the rotation is now officially set, at least unless they make a trade or something crazy in the next couple of days. Um, It's going to be free as the opening day guy. No surprise there. Um, You get into uh, Morton, Wright, Anderson, and Enoa is apparently going to be the order. Wright um, is not really the third starter. That's obviously Anderson, but he got pushed back by a rainout. And they're, they're still talking about the sixth starter spot, which Snickers talked about, and uh, that kind of gets into the, into the, to the Strider thing, because he's going to be apparently on the team in either a bullpen role or the sixth starter role. I guess he's competing with Tucker Davidson um, for those honors. But we, we kind of know at, at a bare minimum, we're not surprised by this, I'm sure, that Kyle Wright and Enoa are going to have two of the first chances to stick in the rotation, and they've been the names that we've kind of focused on the most in the last couple of weeks as the logical options. I, I know that Scott is just flag waving for Kyle Wright as he was doing even today, calling the Braves ace. That's right. Uh, typical stuff from Scott. <laughs> uh, but no, I, you know, this is not a surprise, but I just want to at least say that like, look, no one is actually saying that Wright is the third starter. Uh, Anderson's th- the third starter. It's just that there was a, uh, there's a rain out yeah. along the way. And uh, that's where we are. Yeah. There, there's some excitement here with the back end of the rotation. There's is also, there? pro- there's probably a little bit of, uh, <laughs> of uh, cautious, maybe it's cautious optimism is, is the way. I mean, we'll see. We know that Waskar and Kyle have good stuff. It's just a matter of them putting it all together. Um, I, I'm hopeful for a good season. We, we talked last week, Brad, about I'm hopeful that at least one of these young guys, whether it's Waskar, whether it's Kyle, um, whether it's Spencer Strider, Tucker Davidson, Kyle Muller, one of these guys will take a step forward and establish the fourth spot. Um, there's some risk as we outlined again in that last podcast and go listen to it. If you, if you didn't have a chance to, um, none of these guys have shown they can consistently get outs at the big league level, um, other than like a month long stretch last year from Enoa. Um, but at this point, there's just no real reason. I think Eric would agree. There's just not much reason in my opinion for them to spend much more time in the minors. 
Um, let's see what they have. Maybe none of them end up working out and they're searching for a starting pitcher over the summer months. But um, I think at this point, you have to just see what they can do over 10, 12, 15 starts to begin the year. Yeah, it's an interesting dynamic between there's like two types of pitchers that the Braves have in the minor leagues right now. They have like the, the Kyle Wrights, the Wascari Noahs. You can even like group Tuki Toussaint in there. Uh, you know, and to some, to a lesser extent, but some extent like Kyle Muller and Tucker Davidson, that group of guys has been around for a while. And at some point you need to figure out if they're going to pitch in the major leagues or not. And you have to give them opportunities to do that. Now in Wright's case, he's had opportunities, a number of them. And to say he squandered them is probably a gross understatement for the most part, you know, a very important world series pitching important performance aside. Um, in, in addition to the postseason, uh, pitch, you know, when he was good against the Marlins in the postseason too, in 2020. So I, you know, yes, I agree that you have to give these guys an opportunity to, to pitch. And then you have guys like Spencer Strider, who, I mean, Spencer Strider started last season in low A ball and pitched his way to the major leagues in one professional season, which is pretty wild when you think about it. His trajectory is, you know, off the charts. He doesn't have a ton of experience as a professional yet. So you worry, you know, are the secondaries where they need to be to be a starter? Uh, and then Bryce Elder is another guy that I put kind of in that camp who has moved, who's risen the ranks really, really quickly. He wasn't in consideration because he wasn't on the 40 man roster, but he, I think he's a guy that's going to impress a lot of people and is going to push for a job. So what I think happens here is that we're going to see, particularly with the, the shortened spring training and you know, teams are just going to be concerned about stretching out their starters for that first month period. That's why that they're, they're expanding rosters in the first place is to have more options to kind of let them ease into the season so that no one gets hurt unnecessarily is that we're going to see these guys like Strider, Tucker Davidson, you know, a lot, we're going to see a lot of piggybacking. I don't, I wouldn't want to call them like true bullpen games, but when you have a guy like Colin McHugh in your bullpen, then you have a guy like Spencer Strider, you have Tucker Davidson, then right. And you know what you have all those guys on your roster. You can get, let guys just see a lineup once. And then put another arm out there, see him again. And you can play some matchups. If you, you know, you, the Braves, one thing the Braves do have is plenty of like options between lefties and righties and being able to play those matchups and maximize their effectiveness in those types of not, again, not true bullpen center game scenarios where it's like, you know, like one guy gets one inning sort of thing, but, you know, just being able to stitch together shorter outings to kind of let guys get stretched back out and then gives them a chance to see a whole bunch of guys and then be able to sort out who's performing the best between all of them. Because when you have a bunch of three, inning outings for a lot of these guys, then you can kind of figure out, okay, this is the guy that, you know, is really performing well. This is the guy that needs to go back or we need to move on from. And it gives them an opportunity to see all those pitchers pitch while not necessarily having to rely on, you know, Kyle Wright to finally consistently put together six innings, six inning outings. Like, you know, this is it. Or otherwise you have to start making roster moves. This kind of gives them that opportunity to see a bunch of guys. Just wait till Scott picks Kyle Wright as the most valuable pitcher on the Braves roster later on this podcast. That's going to lock. It's, uh, it's, you're, you're, he's just pandering to Joe. Everyone automatic, <laughs> automatic. Uh, we'll see. I mean, that's I am like one giant shrug emoji on the end of the rotation. I, I think there is some talent there. Obviously, um, I'm very intrigued by Strider. I, I think that uh, part of that's that I haven't seen him as much as the other guys. Maybe that's just like the new the new shiny thing syndrome. And I know how talented he actually is, and he hasn't failed in the way the other guys have at least at any point. So we'll see. And I, I kind of, I kind of believe in right to deep down inside somewhere. I don't know why, but I kind of do, um, <laughs> you know, what? I don't, I, I mean, and it's ironic because he knows the most proven. He's also the guy that I, I believe in the least. I, I just, for, for whatever reason, Same. I just have never seen it. Um, and maybe I'll be wrong. We'll see. I, I'm, I'm certainly open to that. He was uh, at least acceptable to, to better than that 
for a while last season. So we'll see, but uh, that's where we are in the rotation. It's going to be those five guys in order to start with. And then game six will be uh, a question mark. We'll see. Um, okay. With all that out of the way of the news portion, we're going to touch on the NL East for a second after the break and also get into our final predictions. But uh, first, a word from our sponsors on the podcast today. Okay, gentlemen, we sort of teased this a few times the last couple of weeks, but uh, we have not really done an NL East preview. And this is not going to be a huge NL East deep dive. People were asking us for our opinions on the NL East. So, uh, you know, there, there are four teams plus the Braves in the, in the division. Uh, none of them particularly scare me, but obviously there was the usual wave of Mets buzz. And it's already kind of subsided a little bit because Jacob deGrom, unfortunately, is already hurt. And honestly, uh, I, I don't want to root for anybody to get injured. And I actually really enjoy Jacob DeGrom um, as a pitcher. He's quite good when he has it, but he's been banged up for a while. Um, they spent a bunch of money, too, the Mets did, in typical Mets fashion with uh, Steve Cohen. But they are projected to be number two behind the Braves in the division. Um, I believe it's 88 and a half wins is their projection in Las Vegas. They added a bunch of guys, Max Scherzer, Starling Marte, Chris Bassett. Eduardo Escobar, Mark Canna, Robinson Cano is still playing. He's back from his suspension. He's like 39 or whatever he is. Um, they're very talented, that's for sure. But uh, it's also the Mets. And DeGrom is already hurt, and Scherzer is kind of hurt as well. He got scratched, uh, I believe, on Saturday. I don't know what to make of them, man. I mean, I know they have the best roster on paper outside of the Braves, but I don't know what that, what that actually means. It's the Mets. It's the Mets. I think that's how every single uh, – preview article podcast you name it should be with the bets because yeah on on paper i mean they had i think they've underperformed pretty much every year for i don't know four or five years now um i think i was thinking about the mets the other day i think that if everything goes right for the mets and clearly it's not going to go right with jacob Degrom already hurt but pre-jacob Degrom injury I thought the Mets's upside was higher than that of the Braves. You talk about a full season of DeGrom and Scherzer and the other rotation depth they have, and their lineup is pretty solid. Like on paper, they had the potential to be. Oh, they're loaded. They're loaded. Right. Um, but as we've seen already, DeGrom is hurt, going to miss at least a month, maybe two, maybe more. Scherzer is, is as great as he is. I'm a Max Scherzer fan. He has a million innings on that elbow and shoulder. He already has a hamstring issue, which he said is minor, but nonetheless, he's already banged up. We haven't even played a game. Um, you know there's going to be some shenanigans with the Mets here. So as, as much money as they want to spend and as all-in as they seemingly are going to be moving forward, um, I think there's a path for the Mets to win the division, sure, but I, I just ultimately I think the Braves are the better, more complete team. And I just I, until the Mets prove otherwise, I think you have to kind of doubt their ability to be anything more than the offseason champions. And maybe they'll look back and have the last laugh, but I think there's just too many potential downfalls with their roster, uh, especially in the injury department. Eric, before you weigh in, I have a question for both of you that this is sort of a trivia time kind of segment here. Uh, what year is the last time the New York Mets won more than 90 games? Not exactly 90, but more than 90 games. Don't cheat. Ooh. What year was the last time the Mets won more than 90 games in one season i will guess like 2012 was that the year they made the world series eric i think that's right but I'm, my memory is bad about that sort of stuff so okay so they they won 90 exactly in 2015 when they went when they made the world series they won 90 mm. exactly there you go last time they won 90 more than 90 games was 2006 Oof. wow and Oof. I'll, I'll say this i think the nl east winner is going to have more than 90 wins this season that may not be the that, greatest that, 
The Braves, the Braves are favored, uh, and they should be. And they should be. I think the NL East winner will have more than ninety wins. So yeah, it's a. Well, I mean, if, if you ask baseball prospectus, the 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 win the Mets are going to win one hundred and two games this year. So let's just well, go ahead and get. And by, that and by the way, just just for the record, the last time the last time the Mets won the division, they've only won the division once since then, and it was that year they won the World Series in two thousand. Sorry, the year they lost the World Series in twenty fifteen. They have one division title since two thousand six. One. Yeah. Well, you know. It, the, they have a history of spending Being a bit of money, <laughs> yeah, but and doing so poorly. I look at this roster pretty con- constantly over and over again for this year, and I look at their total payroll, and then I look at what their roster is. And you guys are right; like, there's really talented players on this roster. I mean, look, Francisco Lindor is not that far removed from being one of the best players in all of baseball. You look at you know the one-two punch of Jacob Degrom and Max Scherzer when healthy. You can't. I don't think you can draw up a better one-two in terms of talent on the start as, as on the starting pitching side. But you just start looking at how this money was spent and like what I understand that everyone's like, wow, look at all this money that Steve Cohen's paying. But I mean, like Robinson Cano coming back at age 39 isn't exactly as an exciting thing. Jeff Jeff McNeil and Pete Alonso have had moments in the league, but have not been consistent players at all. I'm not scared of their lineup. There are players that I think are going to be annoying again uh, to play against at times. And will be, they'll be one of those teams that down the stretch, you don't want to play because I mean like Mark Hanna and Starling Marte, I think are good baseball players. I don't think they're great baseball players, but I think they're good baseball players. Brendan Nimmo is kind of the same way. And you can kind of get, those are guys that can beat you. You know, they have a puncher's chance, I guess, is the best way I know how to describe it. But that is not a lineup that necessarily scares me, combined with the fact that the Mets for the last 20 years have not demonstrated the ability to keep a starting pitching staff healthy over the course of a season. I don't know what's in the water up there at Chase Stadium. I don't know what's going to be. But this is, I mean, this has been a problem forever. It, there, there's some sort of curse. As soon as you put on that the blue and orange, like you, the likelihood that your connective tissues hold up is very, very short, small. Like careers just end as soon as they get there. So I... I tend to agree with Scott that I will believe the Mets can put it all together when I see it. And yep. they're always, it's not, and it's not just the, the health stuff. It's not just the fact that like, I think that a lot of the money they spent is not been spent. Well, it's that there always to be seen some sort of like nonsense with the Mets, like some sort of <laughs> turmoil, tur- turmoil in the organization, uh, some sort of media circus. And some of that's just being in a New York market. Like whatever happens in a New York market is just going to be overblown. But at the same time, there's just always some silliness with the Mets and it's going to happen again this year. It is like, and I think it might start with like the team's vaccination status, for example, like they might not be able to play half their roster if they go to places like Toronto or other places that have, you know what I mean? It's, it, it gets a little silly, but you know, at the end of the day, I think that we could see a lot of things that just kind of go sideways for the Mets, even though in any given game, they could, they could be dangerous. Yeah. I think it's totally fair to say that they're loaded talent wise. Like, if you just went on their top five starters and the, and the talent, it's probably the best five rotation in the majors, like on paper. Now that assumes health, which you cannot assume with any team, much less the Mets. But if you just look at and you see DeGrom, Scherzer, Bassett, uh, Taiwan Walker, and Carlos Carrasco, like that is fairly ridiculous. But it's just that they, they can't stay healthy. And the Lamps, pretty good, but that's not like, it's not dominant either. So yeah, I think I agree with Scott actually. And like, if everything went perfectly well, you could argue the Mets are more talented than the Braves, but the Braves just have a much higher floor, like much, much higher floor um, in my mind. So 
that's the Mets. Uh, we've sort of summarized them fairly well, I think, just the Metsness of it all. But they are talented. Um, the number three team on the projection level across baseball is the Phillies. Uh, they're projected for like 85, 86 wins in the market. Their defense is going to be horrific, like probably worse than baseball level. Um, but they have lots of bats. In fact, they kind of lean into the defensive void by acquiring Nick Castellanos and Kyle Schwarber, two of the worst defenders in the, in baseball who also just totally mash. It's like the most funny set of transactions I've ever seen. Like the Phillies were like, Oh, we're really bad on defense. Let's add Kyle Schwarber and Nick Castellanos. <laughs> just hilarious <laughs> stuff. All truly, in, truly funny. Um, All in. And then the bullpen should be better than it was, but they've already had some injuries and, uh, we'll see what goes on with the Phillies. Like, I do think that they are clearly more talented than the Marlins and the Nationals, but a step down from the Mets. I, I mean, the hottest take I could possibly have here is not, it's not that hot of a take is that I think I might take the Phillies over the Mets in the division just because of the Mets uncertainty and the Metsness. But, you know, I don't think that Philly projects to be able to win into the nineties, just because their, their defense is going to be so bad. The pitching is okay. Like, I think you look at their starting pitching, it projects actually quite well. I think Fangraphs has them like in the top five in baseball. That's higher than I would be on them, but they, they do have five guys in Aaron Nola, Kyle Gibson, Zach Wheeler, Rager Suarez, and Zach Eflin, who are all like pretty solid. So they do have some, they have, they have five guys there, but like kind of no depth behind them. So I don't know. Uh, I guess as Scott went first last time, Eric, what do you make of the Phillies? Um, I mean, they're, they're the Phillies and kind of leaning into the void, I guess. Well, I, I think that there's not going to be any justice in the world if they win the division with how bad I think their defense is going to be. Uh, I think that there's going to be like a highlight every night where you're just like, what are they doing? You know, like like genuinely bad defense. Uh, combined with, I mean, you have like Girardi and his bullpen management and things like that. You just, you wonder if like how many times they're just going to get in their own way. Uh, they have players that I like a lot is kind of the issue. I mean, like Bryce Harper is capable of carrying a baseball team for a couple months because he did it last year. And that's the reason why he was, you know, well on his way to MVP, an MVP because the, that met that Philly's offense wasn't doing anything except for him, but he, he can, you know, he can do so much damage just by himself. JT Rio Muto is another guy that I like a lot. He's a notable exception to the defensive issues. Uh, he, you know, that's not a guy you want to run on. He's a really good backstop. You know, it does seem a little bit more hit, a hit and miss with the bat, but there's a lot of upside with the bat too. But at the end of the day, I think what happens with the Phillies is very similar to the Metsness, but the Metsness has a very specific flavor. It's just that <laughs> the Phillies, the, 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 the Phillies, have real talent on that team. And there's going to be times where they beat like the Dodgers 10 to two. And it's because Zach Wheeler's on the mound and Bryce Harper goes wild. And, you know, like, you know, Nick Cassianos goes wild. That will happen. But there will also be times where like they're up against the Pirates and four unearned runs cost them the game. And that's going to be kind of, again, I think that that 85, 86, you know, a little, a little bit over 500, there's talent on the roster, but there's also going to be some losses where you're just like, what is going on? While we're here, um, before Scott weighs in, uh, there are exactly two teams projected by Fangraphs to score more runs in the National League than the Phillies. And they are the two teams that you might expect, the Dodgers and the Braves. So they're going to be good on offense. Like if you look at their team on paper on offense, they better be. It's pretty good. Uh, it's just that I don't believe, I mean, it's funny. Like if you just look at the component parts of the Phillies and say offense, good. Starting pitching, pretty good. 
bullpen maybe not as good but like they certainly made some efforts to strengthen it it shouldn't be like all-time bad or anything like middle of the pack that's a pretty good core it's just that that ignores defense and i i mean we've, we've said it a lot but it's probably the worst team in baseball defensively so and that that, that does matter it does hurt your pitching staff etc but truly their offense is like legitimately impressive i'll just say, i'll kind of just say the names real quickly of the guys they have. Obviously, you talked about Riamuto, uh, Schwarber, Castellanos, Bryce Harper, Reese Hoskins, who is a bad defender but can hit with a lot of power, uh, Gene Segura, Didi Gregorius. That's a heck of a top seven. Yep. Yeah. Maybe it's not a hot take. I have the Phillies with a better record than the Mets. So I'm going to say Phillies in second in the division, and not by a lot, by a game or two. Scott, Scott hates defense, folks. You heard it here first. I think, I think with this final year of the shift, I think the shift has covered up a lot of the defensive issues that teams have. They're, they're going to have adventures. Like Eric said, like there's going to be like a gag reel by June. That's like a season worth of, of comical errors. And they're not even 30% of the way into the year. Um, the defense is going to have issues. They have a couple of injuries early on with their bullpen, but that lineup, man, like they're going to score a lot of runs and, Maybe they don't win a lot of games two to one this year, but I think they're going to win a lot of games eight to five this year. Um, I love Zach Wheeler. It seems like his shoulder is fine. Wheeler has been one of my favorite guys in the league for years now. Someone I really wanted the Braves to get when he was with the Mets. Uh, Aaron Nola is, is getting a little bit older, but has been really consistent throughout his career. You, you've noted the back end of the rotation is pretty solid. And again, the defense is going to be bad, but when you, I, I wouldn't be surprised if the Phillies end up leading the National League and run scored in that ballpark, especially. Um, so I like the Phillies a little bit more than the Mets, just with some of the injuries the New York has early on. But I think this is quite clearly going to be a real race to the top in the East with the Braves, the Mets, and the Phillies. Before we move on from the Phillies, I have just two words to end this conversation. And those two words are Johan Camargo. <laughs> he's uh, he's, he's going he's gonna to beat the Braves one game. You know that's going to happen. Guaranteed. Uh, he's, I, I saw a headline this week that was uh, that he's, he, he's actually battling with Alec Bow for the third base job, which is uh, oh. there you go. <laughs> that's a, that's a high draft pick to lose a starting job. The OR uh, speak, speaking of bad defense, Alec Bow. Okay, moving on. Um, that still hasn't man. touched home. Oh Lord, I knew you were gonna get there. That's fine. I, I opened the door for you. Um, for me, okay, from there we'll be, we'll be quick, quicker on these two: the Marlins and the Nats. The Marlins had some good pitching. Um, that's for sure. But, and they did add the whole Jorge Soler, of course, from the Braves and obviously Garcia. Um, you know, I just don't see the offense with the Marlins. That's the short version. And they're projected to win less, win less than they lose. And that makes some sense. I think if you just saw their rotation and their pitching staff, it looks decent. It's just that I don't think that they're going to be able to score. And then you get into the Nats, who is basically just Juan Soto, Nelson Cruz, and a bottomless pit of nothingness for the most part. Like they have some guys on the roster, but they're, Pitching staff is just going to be very bad, and they're kind of very obviously. I'm like, are they rebuilding? I have no idea what the Nationals are actually doing, hmm. but they're kind of kind of rebuilding. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, obviously the Marlins are better than the Nationals in my mind, but uh, what do you guys think of those two teams? I actually really like the Marlins roster. Um, I put this in our notes. I think if Miami was in a bad division, like if they were in the National League Central, where it's the Brewers and like maybe the Cardinals and nobody else really looks like a contender. Like I think the Marlins could flirt with 500 and maybe even a wild card spot in the central. I just don't think they have the horses to do it this year in the East really like their pitching. The lineup should be improved, although they just, they did not score runs at all last year. So that's not a high bar to get better than this year. 
And then the Nationals, Juan Soto is going to single-handedly win them some games. For my money, he is the best hitter in the game right now. Um, Nelson Cruz can still hit. He's like 42, so at some point I think that probably slows down. We'll see if it's this year. And uh, maybe Steven Strasburg gets healthy at some point, though his his injuries <laughs> are – Yeah, they're just, they're just mounting at this point. Uh, we'll see if he ever returns. But, um, yeah, it's, it's going to be a distant last place for the Nationals, I think. And I think the Marlins have some pieces to at least make life difficult. Uh, they feel like a pesky team where a team is really going to need to win a couple of games and they end up losing two out of three to Miami. Um, and uh, we'll see. I think it's pretty clearly, though, the top three teams in this division are going to be head and shoulders better than everyone else. Last year, the Marlins were 67-95, to 95, which is obviously quite bad. Um, but they were like pretty solidly above average at run prevention. It's just that they were the second worst team in baseball at run scored. They, they scored more runs than the, than the Pirates, and that was it. Yeah, and, they and they're, they're a little better now with Soler and Garcia, but like not not good enough. Like they scored 623 runs last year. That is a very very low number uh, over 162. So like I think that's obvious. It's it's a pretty easy evaluation. It's like can the Marlins score enough? Probably not. Yeah, um, I'll just go ahead and really quick, just kind of continue the the hate on the Nationals. I don't think they can pitch at all. Um, <laughs> uh, and I think that they're going to lose a bunch of games by a lot of runs. Uh, I love Juan Soto. Uh, what Nelson Cruz has been able to – how long he's been able to extend his career and be as good as he is. As it's unbelievable. Age. He's blows 42 my, blows my, now, I think. Yep, and, he, and he's still a guy you do not want to make a mistake to. Like, it's he, he will punish you. Uh, so – now, why the Nationals signed him of all teams is an open question, considering the fact that I think that you could have three Nelson's Cruises in that lineup and still not score enough runs. But, you know, though, I love those guys. Those guys are good. They have some talent in their farm system. Talk to me in a three or four years when they can, you know, they start spending money again and, you know, really fill up that roster. Now, the, the Marlins, I'm with Scott. They're kind of scary. First of all, that rotation, I mean, Trevor Rogers can throw. Sandy Alcantara is really good. You know, Guys like Pablo Lopez are better than I would project them to be, but they just they get results done. They have a lot of help coming too on the pitching side, so I like their starting pitching a lot. And while I agree that they won't, it won't happen this year, but I mean Chaz Chisholm's a, a dude. You know Brian Anderson can hit. Joey Wendell is not a bad player. Miguel Rojas continues to be one of those guys that I just don't understand how they, he's as productive as he is. But he plays around. He plays all over the field. He just knows how to play. He's just a good player. And it always seems to do damage against the Braves. I, I will, you, you will not find any Jorge Soler uh, scandal uh, or a slander on this podcast, uh, particularly out of my mouth. It's a weird offensive group, but one that I think is a little bit better offensively than they may get credit for especially now that uh, Chisholm's going to be around for a full season because he was dinged up last year. I, I really think that guy can play. So they're going to be sneaky good. And they're, again, another one of those teams that no one wants to go against because even though they might be the, the probably the fourth best team in this division, when you're up against them, they don't play like a team that has like a top five, top 10 pick in the draft. They're, they're going to be tough to hit against and they might be able to score enough runs to like, you know, like, steal like series two out of three games with just scoring just enough playing decent defense and then the bat behind that starting pitching particularly with those top two guys yeah that's a good summation and i think there's sort of tiers in the nl east and it's basically like we know the braves are in the top tier um it's debatable as to if if a team joins them in that top in that top tier and then we kind of know that you know at least the phillies and are in the middle tier i don't know if they're going to join the braves 
and then the Nats are at the bottom. I don't know where the Marlins are. They're either in the bottom or the second tier. I don't know where the Mets are. They're either in the Braves tier or the middle tier. That's kind of where I am on those five teams. Uh, I know you guys just picked Philly to be better than New York, which definitely makes sense. And it's not, it's definitely possible. It's just how bad the defense is hurts my soul a little bit, but uh, yeah, real bad. I think we're going to end this podcast later with picking the Braves to win the division. I'm pretty sure about that. All three of us based on our comments, but we'll save that for the end. Okay. It's time for predictions. And we've gone long on this podcast already, which is typical for us. Um, I'm going to run, I'm going to play point guard now and uh, stay out of the way. The rest of the rest of the podcast. Uh, We'll start off with some positive stuff on the prediction front. And I will ask you both for a positive surprise aka breakout or encouraging something that's positive that's not like full unexpected so you cannot say matt olson is good that's not really a positive surprise uh scott we'll begin with you the people already know what's coming brad i teed it up earlier on the uh, same. boo for the i think <laughs> it's it's gonna be the third year in a row and i don't care third year in a row i'm predicting kyle wright's breakout there's a really nice article on kyle in the ajc this week about how he has worked with a um, with a coach, a, a kind of a, a mental health counselor slash motivational coach, and um, he, he was pretty candid about how he he lost himself over the last couple of years. He has struggled. We of course know that he has been uh, inconsistent at the big league level, um, and even in the minors, he has not found a, a great level of consistency. But I really like the way he pitched down the stretch. He threw some really, really good innings, especially in the World Series against Houston. I love the fastball. I love the slider. I think he's a guy who, I mean, is he going to live up to being the number four overall pick or number five overall pick, whatever he was? No, probably not. But I do think he's shown that he has good enough stuff. And if he's learned how to attack hitters after a little bit of time here, bouncing between Gwinnett and Atlanta, um, I think even the Braves have been open and candid about how they probably jerked him around too much between the big leagues and the minors his first couple of years. Yep. Uh, him to get an opportunity in Gwinnett for basically all of 2021, I think was good for his development. And uh, I, th- I think uh, Justin with the AJC also asked a couple of players about a breakout pick and both Travis Darno and Austin Riley both had uh, Kyle as, as their breakout option for this year, just the way he's throwing and the confidence he has found. Um, so that is my my uh, positive prediction for the year. Next year, when it doesn't go right, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick Kyle again as, as my breakout. <laughs> no, you're not. Uh, Listen, here's hoping. I'll, I'll say this now as uh, as overlord of the podcast. If this doesn't happen this year, you're not allowed to do it. Do it ever again. It's over. Yeah, it's over. This is it. This is this you're is probably chance. you're probably right. Sorry, Kyle. <laughs> this is your last <laughs> chance, Kyle. I'm, I'm not saying that his career is over, but I, I think his breakout. Uh, you can't pick him to be a break, breakout four years in a row. I won't. I won't allow it. No, I'm, I'm kidding. But fair. It That's does make fair. sense. I mean, uh, if if you hadn't done it, I would have considered it. I knew you. I knew you would, so I didn't have to consider that. But uh, it makes it makes sense. Uh, fool me once, fool me twice, all that stuff. But I, I do think that it's it's possible. Okay, Eric. Yeah. Go. Yeah, I, I do. I do think uh, Scott's in kind of full on Charlie Brown. You know, I'm sure that they won't. She won't take away the football from me this time. <laughs> nope. uh, but, and you know, the, the talent is for Kyle is there, and the. <laughs> the, the points were made. He's had he had a good performance in the World Series, and obviously he seems to have the back of his teammates. I just I will believe that any amount of life coaching can make Kyle Wright pitch better more than once per per once through a turn and through a lineup when I see it. 
And I, I just can't bring myself to do it. That guy has broken my heart more times than I can count. And it's not just in the major leagues. We've seen it in the minor leagues too. I, I just can't bring myself to believe that that's the wagon that's going to happen. So mine is kind of a little more nebulous. The top three guys in the rotation are without question, Max Freed, Charlie Morton, and Ian Anderson. I'm predicting that someone not named those guys is going to put up at least a two war season uh, out of the rotation. Uh, and again, hmm. there's, there's a lot of different options there. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if it was a guy like Spencer Strider. It wouldn't surprise me if it was a guy like, you know, Watsgari Noah or something like that. Or, but or perhaps Kyle Wright. <laughs> it, could, it, could, it could happen. Uh, I'm gonna, I'll go ahead and put it on record. I find it unlikely that it's going to be Kyle Wright. <laughs> but uh, at the same time, I think that one of those two rotation spots, which is currently in flux right now, ends up being a very productive part for the Braves this year. Uh, it is whoever they settle on. And ultimately, it's hard to predict even who's going to get enough playing time to kind of get that opportunity. Uh, and it could be a guy like Bryce Elder or even one of the guys that's coming out of the minor leagues now, Kyle Muller or something like that, uh, who gets an opportunity later in the year. But they're going to get they're going to get a really good pitching performance. Uh, who knows? Maybe Mike Soroka makes his you know grand reappearance and you know you know blows everyone away for the second half of the season and that he could be there. That guy, it is. I was waiting on that. Hey, hey, hey! I'll look if if Scott can predict Kyle Wright's going to break out based on two pitching performances that he's had in his entire career, then at least I can do is hope that my Canadian son comes back from an injury that is, you know, <laughs> you know frankly, yeah. scares. Yeah. Yeah. Two Achilles injuries in a span of 12 months is not good. So, you know, again, it, it could be someone like that, but I do think there's going to be a fourth guy who ends up making this pitching staff uh, on the starting side. Really, really good. Uh, I don't mind that either. Um, my quick one is uh, not going to be quite as cut and dry as you guys. Uh, I will say, use whatever system you'd like to uh, identify this. I think the Braves will have a top five uh, ranking in Major League Baseball in catcher value this season. Interesting. I like that. I can see it. If, if they stay healthy, which is probably that, the That's case obviously the question. If, if, yeah, but, yeah. But, but because, and this is, the, this is one of the reasons why I built this in, is because they can handle an injury. I think William Contreras – is considerably better than most backup catchers in baseball right now today. Yep. And I'm not I even saying that. he's a, he's obviously not a great defender right now, but I think if you look at the, this is, this has been a theme of this podcast for a long time. If you, look at, if you look at the state of catcher across baseball, the baseline for starting catchers is very low. And the baseline for backup catchers is like on the floor basically. And I think the Braves have two guys who I think would be at least average starters on their own in Darno and Pena. And then a third guy in Contreras who's a real bat. And if he has to play, I think you'll hit enough. So obviously that's not the sexiest thing in the world. Um, and they're not going to be probably as good as like the teams that have Will Smith and JT Ralamuto and Yasmani Grandal. But like outside of those three teams and those three players, I think that Braves probably have the best system, at least the best tandem or trio of any team. So there you go. I'm on the record. Negative surprise. This will be the only negative category, I promise you. But uh, this is more of a like disappointment. How do you want to frame that? Well, Scott got to go first last time. So Eric, you're up with, uh, with the disappointment slash negative surprise. So this one's tough because I actually really like the Braves roster this overall. And the oh, guys what, who, what a couch job by you play, play the hits. No, 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 no don't worry. They're, don't worry. They're going to start yelling at me anyway. <laughs> um, uh, so I've been pretty famously very skeptical of Dan's B. Swanson in general, very, very streaky, uh, hit a bunch of home runs last year. And that kind of buoyed some less than, stellar offensive production out of him. I, I think he regresses this year. I don't think that he will be as good defensively. Uh, I do wonder a little bit about how he will respond. He's the one guy on the roster that I think could be impacted 
by not having Freddie on the team because I think that there was a there's a certain camaraderie between those two and kind of getting Dansby on track was one of like Freddie's jobs. But I don't think that that is going to be the case. This, well, obviously it's not. He's not going to be Freddie's not going to be around this year. And I think that Dansby is one of those guys that could really fall back to earth in a big way and could be actively bad. He's going into his walk year. I think ultimately what happens is that he regresses enough that the Braves actually end up having to figure out a different course of action for a start for a shortstop. Considering this is, I mean, he's a free agent after the season, so I think that the Braves end up having to figure out something else. Yeah, I can see it. Yeah, I I think that's fair. I mean, as we know, Dansby is so hot and so cold at the plate. Um, I'm going to go with Marcelo Zuna. Um, Maybe this isn't a super hot take, but before the injury and the suspension last year, Marcel was not hitting very well. He had, I think, a 73 WRC plus. Other than a couple of home runs, he was striking out too much and not making a ton of contact. And then, of course, he went from basically early May into the end of the year and was not playing. Um, so he just hasn't had a lot of continued at-bats over the last, I don't know, year. And then you have the shortened COVID year where he was out of his mind. I don't think anyone expects him to be that good. Um, so my, my negative disappointment, whatever you want to call it, I will say that Marcel does not have a great year. Maybe it's a contract that the Braves just are kind of stuck with. Um, Maybe they overpaid a little bit coming off that ridiculous 2020 year where he signed the one-year deal. Um, I'll say that Marcel doesn't have a great year, and maybe they they work in a couple of DHs throughout the season. Yeah, I hope that doesn't happen just for the sake of the team. But also, if there's a you know guy to not root for as much, it might be Mar- Mar- might be Ozuna. So big true, big true. Uh, okay, my I went back and forth on this. I I think I'm just going to lean into it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give some, some parameters. Uh, I am going to say that – see, the, I, the, the problem with, with doing this one is that I'm not sure how to, how to frame it. I want to say that Austin Riley is not as good as everybody thinks he is, just to stay on brand. Um, You're dead to me. Because I still believe that. But I also think that he's good. So, like, there, there's nuance here that's, like, very difficult to capture in that I believe he's a good baseball player but also not a star. And that's the gap I want to try to – to weave and I can't really find a way to do it. So I don't know how much worse, how much, how much worse do you think he'll be? I I mean, I think it's more like, okay, it's just for instance, he, I think he was at what what did he finish like seventh or eighth at MVP voting last year. Uh, One of the ways I thought about doing this is like Austin Riley does not, does not receive a single MVP vote in the the national league, something like that. Like I can see that. Yeah. And and I I know people don't, people get mad at me about Austin Riley. I'm not, and listen, if he does it again, then I'll, I'll give up forever. And that's fine. Um, I, did make sure, I think, on this podcast, we, we tried to make sure to just look how good he was last year. He was kind of out of his mind for a very long time, and it might be real. I just have a hard time in all of the stuff from his defense to everything else. I just find myself a little bit lower than everybody else is on him, which is fine. I think that he's still going to be good, and that's why it's not like a giant disappointment. But I think there will be somewhere in the, in the uh, thought process of the fan base or whatever, if you're trying to be clear-eyed, I can see at the end of the season, he only hits 28 home runs and he only slugs 480 instead of 530. And he has, a, he has 800 OPS instead of 900 OPS, that kind of stuff. Like, I, this is not me saying he's bad because he's not. But I think it's more like he'll be just just good rather than a star. Is that the way I'll, that's, that's the way I'll leave yeah. Does that make sense to you guys? Is that that's fair. Okay. I mean, it's the difference between him taking the next step forward 
and having like a legitimate claim as the best third baseman in the game. Right. Compared to, okay, maybe he's not quite as good as the guy who almost had like a thousand OPS in the second <laughs> half of last year. Yeah. But he's, he's just going to be more of a, a good above average third baseman instead of a superstar, which he, he looked the part of last year. Yeah. One of the ways that I would say it is like, I think he's closer to the 10th third baseman than the third third baseman in the league. Like, and that, that's not the, in the majors, not, not, not the national league, in the majors. So I think he's above average. I just think he's like a little bit closer to the bottom of the top 10 than, than the top five. I don't know how to say that. Hopefully that makes a lot of sense. People can yell at me about this when he has 45 runs this year. Listen, he might have 45 <laughs> runs. I'd be okay right. with that. Yeah. Uh, I think we can all say just for the record and get it out there. I know we had this reputation for being negative on the podcast. Uh, we're all rooting against ourselves in that category. I'll say that right now. <laughs> yep, agreed. 100%. Um, Okay. Except for Marcel, I kind of hope he's bad. Well, I don't. I don't. <laughs> I, I get why you say that. Trust me. Uh, we were very vocal about not wanting him on the team, but uh, since he's on the team, I'd like him to do well. But I understand. Uh, I do understand that one. Okay. Uh, it's bold prediction time. Uh, looking at our document, this is kind of funny. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go first on this one because I tweeted it out, and uh, I'll just say it. I, my bold prediction is an MVP pick for the Braves and nationally MVP pick, but it's not the two guys everybody else is picking. I am picking Ozzy Albies to win the national MVP this year. How many starts does he make it short? Uh, ooh, that'd be great. Wouldn't, wouldn't it be great if he played shortstop <laughs> after, all, so after, after all this? Uh, I'm going to say, I'm going to say, I'm going to say zero. Um, but yeah, I think that some of this is just like an excuse for me to talk about Ozzy and how good I think he is. Cause I've said that a lot for a long, for a long time, uh, all jokes aside about him playing shortstop. But I think that there actually is a path to Ozzy putting up a modern MVP season. Uh, if this was 15 years ago, he'd have no chance because he's, he's not, he's not going to have the counting stats. I don't think to do it, but I think that Ozzy has a season in him where he hits 30 to 35 home runs steals, you know, 25 to 30 bases um, plays gold glove level defense. And, and this is the big one. I think he's got to get his, o, his OBP up to like the mid three hundreds, something like that. He can't, he can't have an OBP in, in the low three hundreds to actually win the MVP. But I think the combination of really good team and him having his best season so far, I think he's like a guy who could be a top three or four player in the national league in terms of war, if he puts it all together. And, uh, yeah, I think it's at some point he's going to have one of those years where it's just like the complete and utter Ozzy Albee season. I think this is going to be the yeah. Yeah, it's it's the Jimmy Rollins MVP season. Yeah, that you're exactly. Kind of that, that's, that's, that's exactly right. Yep. Yep. And he's and charismatic, and he has some of the counting number. Like he's going to score, like he's going to have a million counting stats this year, just based on where he's. Well, going. yeah, one score too. Like he's. I mean, I don't really care much about one score in RBI, especially as other as other people do. But like for instance, last season, Ozzy. Now he played. Oh, I think almost every game but he got over hundred runs and over hundred RBI last year. Like he went 30, 20, hundred, hundred last season. It's just that he didn't have the batting average OVP numbers to get there. But if he does all of that stuff in the counting stats, plus great defense on a really good team. And also, you know, bumps his OPS up to like 900. That's a, I mean, he's going to be right there. I, I understand. Like if I'm being honest, this is a low percentage pick because a lot has to go right for Ozzy to actually do this. And I think there are two guys on the roster that are more likely quote unquote to do it. But in terms of like betting odds, like I think Ozzy at like whatever he is, 40 to one to MVP, makes some sense. I like it. And it's bold. Mine is less bold. bold. Yeah. (laughs) Mine is less bold. Although I think, and I'll 
I'll touch on this in a moment. So my bold prediction is Matt Olson wins NL MVP. Um, and I say that really with two parts to it. So one, um, he was going to have a lot of competition on his own team. Like we just talked about Ozzy, Ron Lacuna, uh, Austin Riley, who we just noted was top 10 in voting last year. So is, Ron, is have... Ron Lacuna good at baseball? Uh, I, I wasn't sure if he's, is he, is he good? He's Ron pretty Lacuna? good. Yeah. Last I looked, he's pretty good. It's been a little bit since we've seen Ronnie on the field, but he's, he's pretty damn good. And his batting practices look amazing right now. Um, I think Matt Olson is just tailor-made to play in truest. I think he's going to hit 45 homers, maybe more. I mean, he's going from about as bad of an offensive situation as you can go in in Oakland in that huge ballpark and didn't really have much protection behind him to moving to truest. He's going to launch. I don't even know how many into the chop house he's going to have presumably Austin Riley protecting him in the lineup every single night. So you're not going to be able to pitch around him. He hit just a mammoth Homer today in spring training against the Red Sox. Like I think he is, uh, not a household name nationally, or at least not as much of a household name as he should be, just based on how good he has been, especially last year. Uh, so give me Matt Olson, NL MVP. Some of his biggest competition might be the guy sitting in his own dugout along with Juan Soto and, and uh, Bryce Harper and the handful of MVP candidates the Dodgers have. Uh, but I'm very, very excited for Matt to be in Atlanta coming home. Uh, I think he's going to have a tremendous year. So I'm going to go one step further. Obviously. Brad and Scott gave MVP picks and it's going to be pretty clear that I am picking Ronald Cooney Jr. to win the NL MVP, but I'm going to go one step further. Uh, and by the way, this is very much to my detriment if I'm right, because I have a running bet with the internet that if this happens, I have to get a tattoo and I, they, the, the people will not let me forget this. There, there will be a running tracker. Well, you would have lost last year. If you hadn't got hurt. Uh, I, yeah. If he didn't get hurt, I, I would be tattooed. Right. I think that even with losing the month that Ronald Acuna Jr. Puts, flirts with, I don't know if he'll get there and there's a specific reason why, he flirts with a 40-40 season this year. Obviously, if he does that or gets close, he's going to win the MVP. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you that now. But the the and I think that 40 home runs, oddly enough, is the one that I'm the least concerned about. That that guy can hit a ball out of anywhere at any given time against anybody. And I think he's going to be a man on the mission this year. The issue is the 40 stolen bases. And for a while, I thought that I was actually going to be pretty safe because I wasn't sure the Braves were going to let him run. But I think that the way that Acuna plays the game and a lot of decisions that he just makes on his own, I, I, I think that he might be a little hesitant at first, but there's enough bad catchers in the league that they'll probably rake him run anyway. And then as the season goes on, he's going to get more confidence in that knee. And look, one of the things this guy does better than anybody is just create offense out of nowhere. I mean, how many times have we look, we've seen him hit tape measure home runs and, you know, like, you know, lace doubles and, you know, all that, but like, he'll like get hit by a pitch and five pitches later, he's home because he like steals a base or he takes an extra, like he goes first to third on something that he had no business on taking uh, scoring on a sack fly that he shouldn't have been able to score on, but he's just so fast and so good. He just creates so much offense and that's just the way he plays, which is running around like his hair's on fire. And I don't think that you can take that out of him for very long. Uh, I, I think he ends up getting close. I'm not sure if he gets the 40-40 season, but I think he's going to flirt with it. People are going to start realizing how close he is towards the end of the season. And uh, I'm going to be very, very nervous. So for the record, Eric is being the smart one here because Ronald Acuna is uh, fantastic. And in my mind, the best player on the planet. Um, 
obviously the missed games is the big question there. It goes to this, – this is one of the ways that I will frame Ronald being incredible. Uh, I just pulled up DraftKings MVP odds from the National League. Ronald Acuna, who is not going to be playing baseball in April, is number two behind Juan Soto in the, in the MVP odds. He's not going to play for a month. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Um, anyway, Ronald Acuna, really good. By the way, that's going to double as our uh, MVP segment on the podcast because the three of us just picked our MVPs. Um, I, I do think that I'm going to be wrong, and most likely – but I do think that Olsen versus Ronnie is actually interesting for this year in particular. I think Ronnie is be. a better Ronnie's a better player, but you know, a month is a month. Like that's that you know, if Olsen hits eight home runs or ten home runs in April before Ronnie even comes back, that's a lot to make up. So just saying, it's possible. It's a it's a really cool and fun debate to have about what player on your team is going to be the MVP when. <laughs> well, it's it's kind of previous years when like there's, there's there was this debate the last couple of years of like who's better between Freeman and Ronnie, yeah. and like I think eventually people just like all right Ronnie's probably better, but of course Freeman won the MVP in 2020 like while with Acuna on the team. Yep. So it's possible. And if and as we're talking, I know it was against your your um, prediction, Brad, but like. Would anyone be surprised if Austin Riley goes nuts and not is a top five, top seven, top 10 MVP guy? No, not, not, not at all. all. Even as someone who just kind of picked against that, quote unquote, I think Austin Riley is actually capable. I don't know if I'd pick him to like really win it, but like, could he hit 45 home runs? I think he could. I mean, the, the power is just so ridiculous that if he puts it all together, there's no question in my mind. If he, he, could, he could hit 42 home runs and improve defensively like he did during the course of last season and have the numbers to do it. So, yeah, I mean, they, they really do and, have four guys that could do it. Well, and the elephant in the room here is that the year that Freddie Freeman won the MVP, a guy that I wish wasn't on the roster, almost, was got the tri- yeah. almost, almost got a triple crown. Yeah. I mean, I, that that's the lowest percentage likelihood. I, I mean, I totally I mean, agree with your – He can't but. win it, I don't think, because of his defense. I think he'd have to be so ridiculous that he w- to actually win MVP, Ozuna would probably have to hit, like, you know, just some obscene amount, like 200, like 200 WRC plus to actually win MVP with his defense. But still, probably. I mean, regardless, they, they have at least four guys who could win it, and Ozuna, like, to your point, Eric, he really – Ozuna was a top five MVP guy for me in 2020. That's how good he was. And, so. and, if, and if Freddie wasn't on the team taking votes from Ozuna, Ozuna yeah. might have won it. He would have been in the mix for sure. So that's all that. I mean, I, this is a little bit anticlimactic now, but our, our pitching MVP, um, I'll go first. Charlie Morton is my guy. I continue to zig when everyone zags. Everyone's picking Max Fried. I understand why. Max Fried's really good. I will uh, jump on with the old guy once again. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I actually have no problems with the Morton pick. I mean, my, my only concern with Morton is just he's getting older. You know, he broke his leg in the World Series. Give me the old guy. I, I, I mean, look, if you, if you want to go on Team AARP, I'm not, I am not going to be the least bit upset with it. Listen, uh, but as I'll, long as there's one guy on the team that's older than I am, we're good, and he's, he, he's older than I am. So uh, I'm still safe at this point. <laughs> yeah, the list of guys on the roster that's older than me is uh, getting is dwindling, is dwindling, although Darren O'Day helps the cause. Oh, yeah, um, I forgot O'Day. Okay, I, I have O'Day and Morton. We're good. Two, two yeah, guys. Yeah, yeah, he's your bullpen MVP, I'm sure. That's good. Beautiful. Um, uh, I did pick Max Freed. Uh, I think that he takes the next step and is just kind of one of those guys that every fifth day that, that the Braves really count on. I think he'll – I think he'll. I actually will go one step further and say that I think he'll end up finishing top five in Cy Young voting this year. But that's pretty much all I got. I mean, he's 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 really good. Yeah, I like it. I'm I'm on the team Max Freed. As Eric said, wouldn't be surprised if he takes that next step. And I do think um, Morton and and Freed are the two obvious ones here. But 
I think Colin McHugh, especially in, in light of the injury to Luke Jackson, I think Colin has a very real chance to be obviously not a, a major league level Cy Young or MVP candidate by any means. But I think when we look back on six months on this team, I think his role is, is going to be, uh, he's going to play a very critical role for this team. And he is really, really good. He's a fun pitcher to watch and uh, give me uh, as a dark horse for maybe, again, most valuable is always open to interpretation. He's not going to have the highest war on the team by any means, but if uh, he's going to throw some really important innings for this team. I'm also yeah. not going to be surprised at all if Ian Anderson ends up being the best of those three. Like those guys, he's really good too. He, he is. I, this is a whole, we won't go down, go down this road. I, 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 I don't know if I can get there still. Like he's got, he's got to do it for me for a full regular season. Um, but obviously he's talented enough to do it. So would not surprise me. I, I was waiting for Kyle, for uh, Scott to pick Kyle Wright. That'd have been pretty interesting, but we won't do it. <laughs> oh, I, I would have been, I would have rioted. I'm <laughs> kidding. He wasn't going to do that next, um, next year, boys. Next year. Yeah, ne- exactly. Breakout this year. Then the Cy Young pick next year for Kyle Wright. Okay, we've reached the point of the podcast where we get on the record with our final win-loss predictions. Anything else you want to add? Uh, I'm going to go last. So, uh, Scott, if you'd like to start us off with our uh, with your NL East finish as well as win-loss stuff, and I guess if you want to pick the Rays with the World Series again, you can. Again, what a what a magical run that was. Again, again indeed. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, if it's not clear, I'm going to take the Braves to win the National League East. I will take them to go 93 and 69. I think there are a couple of games better than the Phillies and the Mets, although I do think both teams end up making the, the wild card and the Braves. I'll say the Braves are the two seed in the National League. Um, I just, I love the depth of this team, even losing Luke these last couple of days. I love the bullpen. I think the starting rotation is going to have enough, enough depth to, to navigate a six-month season. And then quite obviously, I mean, the lineup is really good today and that's without Acuna. You put Acuna at the top of it in a month and it's just silly. I mean, if you ever are bored, go play with some lineup combinations once Ron comes back and it's just a lot of fun. Um, so give me the Braves in the East for the, would this be the fifth year in a row they've won the division? Um, yeah, t- time flies. Um, and I do think it's, it's really hard to repeat, but I just, I love the way this team is built for uh, a potential October run. We saw that, Obviously, games are just so much different in the playoffs. Then uh, you have to get there, and then you and then the game just changes in the postseason with the bullpen, with the power, with the top of the rotation. I just love the way this team is set. So I'll say the Braves repeat. I believe for the first time since like 2000, 2001 with the Yankees. I think is what I saw the other day. Uh, so give me another World Series parade. I think we'd all sign up for that happily. So I'm going to continue uh, what has been a long running. Uh, tradition of me being the resident optimist on the Braves in terms of having picked them to have the highest win total. Uh, I have them at 95 and 67, uh, winning the NL East comfortably. Um, <laughs> if you couldn't figure out before, I have very little faith that the Mets and the Phillies can stop being the Mets and the Phillies. Uh, and those are the two teams that give the Braves that could give the Braves the most problems. Uh, I think that they will do well against their division rivals this year, uh, particularly feasting on what they have traditionally done against the Marlins. As long as they have Ronald Cooney Jr. on their on the roster, the Marlins aren't going to be able to do a whole lot. And so the Nationals, I think, are going to be ter- genuinely terrible. Um, so I think that they'll do a lot of work in the division. I think that they will be able to outslug a lot of teams. I think that they have a, a good starting rotation, the best bullpen in baseball, and one of, if not the best lineups in baseball. That gives you 
probably, you know, at least top two seed in the NL. Uh, the, the Dodgers are going to obviously be the issue there in terms of whether or not they actually can get more wins than them, I think. Uh, and I'm, I'm with Scott. I think that they, we, I think we see them repeat. Anything can happen in the postseason, but <laughs> I, I want to see Ron Lacuna as a man on a mission in the postseason to, you know, be able to come back after that injury and, you know, say this is my time after being able to, missing out on that postseason run. Uh, I think that this lineup is scary. I don't think that they could. There's many teams that could pitch to them uh, in, in a series and beat them over, you know, a course of seven games. So uh, give me the Braves. Um, I'm not sure who over in the American League actually comes out of there. I think it's going to be kind of a the Wild West over there in the American League. But give me the Braves in six in the World Series back-to-back champs. Well, that was a setup for you guys. I, I can't possibly pick up and pick them when the World Series again because you guys, we can't, we can't all do it. That would be crazy. Uh, okay, pick 94. them to lose the division, Brad. Pick them to no, lose the division. That, that's not happening. Uh, I've done that before. I'm not afraid to do that on this podcast. We've done it. We've all done it, I think. Um, but this year, uh, I think the Braves are the best team in the National League East. By comfortable margin, I think at this point, I think the Mets are talented, but they're the Mets. So uh, give me 94 and 68. So I'll split the difference between between you guys in the standings. I think they are going to win the game, win the division by seven games. I think the I think the Mets and Phillies, one of them finishes with 87 wins. I don't know which one of them, one of them, but uh, I'm going to say by seven games the Braves won the division, which is a, a pretty hefty margin over one season two. I think they'll be the number two seed in the National League. I think the Dodgers will win more games than the Braves this year. I think the Dodgers are still better on paper than the Braves, but uh, obviously the Braves are capable of outdoing them, outpacing them, and beating them in a playoff series, as we saw a year ago. Um, you know, I think that the Braves are absolutely capable of winning the World Series. I think this team is better than the team last year. As I've said before on this podcast, if you're a new listener or someone who's just wrapping back up to the season, I said a few weeks ago, I believe, I believe with Scott, but uh, I think the Braves are better this year than they were last year. And I think that they also are not going to win the World Series. And that is possible on both levels. I know that, might, that, may not, that may not sound like sound logic, but I promise you the Braves last year were not the best team in baseball for most of the season. And that's okay because it doesn't matter because they won the World Series and the flag flies forever. This year, I think the roster is better when you factor in Ronald Acuna, presumably being there and some of the other stuff that's uh, developed on this team. But I think that, um, you know, just being objective, they are not likely to win the World Series again. Could they possibly do that? Absolutely, they could. I think uh, if I was going to pick the uh, number of teams that I would say have a better chance than the Braves to win the World Series, I might only say one. I think the Dodgers are the only team in 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 the league that has a better roster than the Braves do. Uh, I think there are other teams that are like maybe on the same level as Atlanta, like whether you're like your Toronto's and your White Sox or whatever you want to say, because they're divisions or um, et cetera. But I think uh, the Braves, if you want to say they're in the tier of the Dodgers, I have no problem with that. Um, But the only team that I think is, if if you want to argue that anyone is better than the Braves in major league baseball, the only team that I'll listen to being in a different tier than the Braves is the Dodgers. So that's a pretty uh, roundabout explanation, but I think the Braves are going to be very good this year. I think they're better than they were last year, which says a lot for a team that's just won the World Series. So they're capable of doing it again. I hope they do it again. That'll be a lot of fun to cover two in a row. I can't imagine what we would talk about if they won two, if they won two in a row. Can you imagine the reactions? This fan base would be insufferable. insufferable. Yeah. Yes, 100%. If it'd, they be incredible. Right it'd be incredible if they did it. But like, you know, last year, the whole run was just basically this, this glow. You know, the three of us did it on this podcast a lot, just kind of uh, almost being speechless, but having to speak because it was an audio, it's an audio podcast. Uh, I don't know how we would react to it again, but we'll see. I'm, I'm happy to see if I'm happy yeah. to see what happens. If it works. I, I think it would be reflecting on some truly troll like behavior going on on Twitter because I mean, that this fan base was already pretty, pretty rough just winning one. 
you know, I, I don't think that especially like other team accounts and other team writers would ever hear from it would ever not hear from the Braves fans again, just constantly in their messages. Uh, very atypically, uh, very typically of uh, the, the Tiger Woods memes uh, from, from a couple of years ago. Uh, I think that the Braves fans would just be living in mentions and that'd be a lot of fun to watch. And obviously, you know, being able to cover a world series again, you know, that's something that I'll, I'll never forget. That was that I'm still a little tired from it, but at the same time, it was, it was, <laughs> Eric, uh, it's, April. It was it's April now. You're, you're not, you're not so tired from the world series. Maybe I'm old Bradley. I'm old Bradley. Old. Okay. We, we've gone forever on this podcast as predicted by me anyway. Um, thank you gentlemen for joining me on the show. Uh, I think some of us are going to be right about some things at the bare minimum. I can't imagine us going over the podcast, the predictions. Someone's going to be right about something. Uh, so that'll be, that'll be nice for us. And we can, re, we can probably rehash this. I'm sure we'll get yelled at a lot. I know I will for the, for the Rowie takes. Uh, I don't know what else is going to happen on the, on this show, but uh, I think we'll, uh, we'll still be here. If you're a new listener to the podcast, I would encourage you to subscribe to this podcast network because it is a network of shows. We have this show, the flagship, the battery power podcast, which is uh, usually hosted by at least two of the three of us, myself, Eric, and Scott. We also have the Daily Hammer, which is our short, bite-sized, more frequent podcast with Sean Coleman as the head of that outfit. And then we have Road to Atlanta, focusing on the minor league side with Eric and friends and uh, the whole crew on the minor league side, which is, again, a a show that I learn a lot about all the time because I'm not a huge prospect guy, so they teach me lots of things. And it's all available for the price of $0. And please, please, please subscribe and rate and review and all of that fun stuff. We're trying to grow the podcast. It's already, it's already been fantastic to have all the support. But now is the season's beginning. We're into April and hopefully it continues to grow and you can share it with your friends and your family. And I know there are Braves fans that have not heard our podcast. So if you can put it in front of them, if they hate it, that's, that's something different. But if they haven't heard it, then I'm going to ask you guys to help us out and share the podcast. Uh, Eric and Scott, any final thoughts before we sign off? Minor league season starts this week. So Tuesday yourselves from, yeah, uh, Gwinnett only, <laughs> but yeah, hey, uh, but- it started. Yeah. Gwinnett starts early and then the, the, they're just, you know, trying to match up to have guys ready in case they need to be pulled up from AAA. And then towards the end of the week, we're going to start seeing minor league games, full slates. So it's going to be, it's going to yeah. start getting pretty busy pretty quickly for us. We love yeah. to see it. Baseball's back all is well, always good to do one of these with you guys and uh, go Braves. Let's have another good year. It's going to be fun, everybody. Uh, please subscribe. By the way, just this is a, uh, if you're, again, new, our flagship show is usually on Sunday. Not always, but you will. that's usually with a the slot there. Road to Atlanta early in the week, Monday, Tuesday range usually, and then Daily Hammer uh, four or five days a week because Sean is a monster who helps us out quite a bit. So that's the schedule. We'll be, uh, this will be the last time that the three of us speak on this podcast feed, barring something crazy between now and opening day because opening day is Thursday. But Sean will be back to do some opening day preview stuff. I know Road to Atlanta is uh, always going to be pop, pop, popping in as well. So best way to find the podcast is to subscribe, and we'll see you all after the season starts, because the season's going to be starting very, very soon. So buckle up. Let's have some fun. Yay.